0: The following message was given at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to Luke chapter 17 again today, and I'll be reading the first four verses of Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, picking up at verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses or stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend or stumble one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in the day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have read your Holy Word. We've come now to consider it and to study it together, and we are aware of our great need of the help of your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that our hearts are still full of much remaining hardness and dullness and deafness to your Word, and that apart from your Holy Spirit, we cannot receive your Word right with love and joy and conviction and faith and an obedient disposition we cannot preach your word as it ought to be preached with any kind of lasting fruit coming from it apart from the ministry of your spirit and so we come father as we do each week and we ask O father that you would give the holy spirit that your spirit would come upon the preaching of your word upon the hearing of your word in order that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you love and have raised from the dead, that he might be exalted in the midst of your people. And that we might live in such a way as to bring honor and glory to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> One of uh, the terrible effects of the fall of man in sin is that we are all selfish and self-centered by nature. Until Christ does a work of grace in our hearts, we pretty much only care about ourselves and ours, for me and and mine, and no more. And there's a kind of self-preoccupied individualism that marks man in his sinful state. Who can forget the words of Cain? Uh, When he was confronted by God in the beginning, when he uh, murdered his brother Abel when the Lord asked him, Cain, where is your brother? And he responded, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's a common attitude uh, that men have. But when the gospel comes into a person's life, into our souls, we believe the good news of what Christ has done for us. His spirit comes to dwell within us One of the things the gospel teaches us, one of the things the grace of God teaches us is that we are indeed our brother's keeper. God does not save us to be Lone Ranger Christians roaming around upon the earth. He has saved us with the purpose of incorporating us into a community, the new covenant community, a community of believers, the church, local churches, in which every one of us has the responsibility to care for one another. We are all our, brother, our, our brothers' keepers. Well, our message last week from this text, uh, Luke seventeen one to four. We looked at it. I focused on verses three to four especially, but I only cover the first part of the text. And so today I plan to open up the second part uh, of this text before us, but let me briefly review last week's message to kind of bring us up to speed. First, Jesus speaks in this text of the activity of confronting one another in love. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And that was the focus of the message last week. And the situation envisioned here is one in which a brother has sinned against you. And what are you to do when that happens? Jesus says, rebuke him. You're to point out to him what he has done in an effort to help him to see his sin and to repent of it. And this we saw as the loving and the biblical thing to do. And, and we also saw that there are many sins in our brothers and sisters that we should simply overlook, that we should cover with a blanket of love, as Peter says. There are common sinful blemishes that plague even the best of Christians. Character quirks in your brother. Areas where he's still growing. Areas where he's simply lacking in maturity. And if we took the time to confront every possible sin every Christian might commit, that's about all that we would ever do. All we would do is be going around rebuking one another all the time. And that certainly would not be conducive to a healthy climate of patient love and forbearance in the church. Now the Bible tells us there are times when we should simply overlook and cover with a blanket of love the sins of our brother. So then what sins are we to confront? Well, we saw that we are to confront, you remember the statement, any sinful action. Not things we can't see in the heart, not things that we just don't like, but any sinful action action that cannot be overlooked without harmful consequences. Any sinful action that cannot be overlooked without harmful consequences. And then I gave three simple biblical guidelines to help us as we think through that. One, if the sin creates a barrier between you and your brother or sister, it cannot be overlooked. Two, if it's a situation in which it doesn't appear that the brother already sees his sin, is already repenting and seeking to overcome this sin, then you need to address it. And three, if his sin is such that it would hurt others or bring reproach upon the cause of Christ, if it is not addressed, then it cannot be overlooked. And then we consider the manner in which we are to confront sin in our brother or sister. And we saw that we are to do it quickly, we are to do it humbly, we are to do it gently, and when it's a private offense, we are to do it privately. Okay, so that's a quick review, very quick review of what we spent a lot of time on last week. If you missed that message, you may hear the message today and say, well this has been helpful, but you need to get the message before as well. So I encourage you to go back and listen to it uh, if you missed it. But now we're ready to consider the second part Of the response our Lord requires from us. Here we not only see the duty of confronting one another in love, but the much more pleasant duty, though sometimes the much more difficult duty, of forgiving one another. Jesus says in our text, if he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, There's a lot of confusion, I think, uh, in the world, even among God's people today, about this matter of forgiving one another. And that's not good, because really, when it comes to living the Christian life and our relationships to each other in the church, there's hardly anything, uh, there's a few things that are more important than this. So I want to spend some time on this. Carefully opening up what the Scripture teaches by asking and answering from the text two questions, and from the Bible as a whole, Two questions. And the first question is, when must we forgive one another? When must we forgive one another? Well, the answer Jesus gives here to that question can be summarized in this way. Only and always and immediately upon repentance. Upon repentance. Let's break this down. First of all, we must forgive only upon repentance. Now, the moment I say that, It sounds shocking to some people. And that's been the cause of debate and misunderstanding of imbalanced teaching, I'm afraid, by by godly, well-meaning Christian people. In our day especially, many Christian leaders erroneously teach that we must forgive others even when that person clearly does not intend to seek forgiveness. You must forgive at all times. There are absolutely no conditions attached is what they say. But Jesus says in our text, if he repents, forgive him. If he comes back to you again saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Twice in this passage, the condition of repentance is underscored. Now the words of our Lord Lord here, they seem so clear. You may wonder how in the world could so many well-meaning Christians give a different answer to that question? When faced with the question, when are we to forgive others? They answer, at all times with absolutely no conditions attached. How can they say that in light of a text like this? Well, to be fair, to be fair, let me mention some of the reasons for some of the confusion on this subject, okay? First of all, oftentimes there's a failure to make a distinction between a disposition that is ready to forgive and the actual act Of forgiveness itself. And there's a very important distinction. Between those two things. As we'll see when we consider. What forgiveness actually is. Uh, I must at all times. Relinquish any attitude of malice. And desire for personal revenge. And I must at all times. Have a desire. And a readiness to forgive. But that's not the same thing. As actually granting forgiveness. I may desire to forgive. I may be willing to forgive. I may be waiting to forgive. I might be praying that God would convict that person and bring him to me so that I might have an opportunity to forgive. But that's not the same thing as actually forgiving him. It's not the same. There is a biblical distinction between those two things. And someone immediately says, what about Christ upon the cross? What about Stephen's prayer for his enemies when he was being stoned to death? Jesus forgave his enemies upon the cross, and Stephen forgave those who stoned him to death. And those people certainly never came to Jesus or to Stephen and said, I repent. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not really true. That's not accurate. Christ did not forgive his enemies upon the cross. You say, ah, come on, pastor. Everybody knows that Jesus forgave his enemies on the cross. No, Christ did not forgive his murderers on the cross. Go back and read it. What did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. He prayed that these men might be forgiven, but there's not a word about him forgiving them. Now, Jesus, uh, did Jesus have a disposition of love and readiness to forgive toward those people? Yes, that's expressed in his prayer to the Father. Would he have been quick to forgive them? Of course. But does he actually forgive them? Not until some of them repented. On the day of Pentecost. On that day, when from the right hand of the Father, he who is exalted to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, gave them repentance. And having given them repentance, he then forgave them. He gave them that forgiveness that can only come upon repentance. He doesn't give them forgiveness upon the cross. He gives them forgiveness, some of these very same people who crucified him on the day of Pentecost under the preaching of the apostle Peter when they repented. But not until then same is true of Stephen. Stephen did not forgive the men who were stoning him to death but he expressed a desire that they might be forgiven and he prayed that the Lord would forgive them but there's nothing said about Stephen actually forgiving his enemies. They were not actually forgiven. Some of them at least Saul who was there until Saul repented and he was converted on the road to Damascus. You see, Our forgiveness is to be modeled after God's forgiveness. And does God forgive men regardless of whether they repent or not? No, the gospel that we preach is not a message in which we just go around telling people that God has forgiven you. Now that's what the universalist teaches God's already forgiven everybody and what we're to do is simply go out into the world declaring and announcing to people that God has forgiven them. Is that the biblical gospel? Is that what the apostles preached? No, they were sent forth to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are to declare to men that God will forgive them If they trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins. Not that God has already forgiven them. You see, forgiveness is always connected to repentance. And this is not only true of God's forgiveness of us, but of our forgiveness of one another. So we have to distinguish between a disposition that is ready to forgive and the actual act of forgiveness itself. And then another reason there tends to be, I think, so much confusion on this subject at times is this. Secondly, there's often a failure to distinguish between having a disposition that is ready to forgive and the duty of using the God-ordained means for confronting sin, I, I still remember way, this, this goes way back. It, it, it seems like a few years ago, but some of you young people, it was a long time ago. I remember when Bill Clinton did whatever it was he did. I won't even mention what it was. And there were Christian leaders saying, well, we should forgive him. Well, yeah, we should forgive him if he repents. In the meantime, before, before he repents, we should confront <laughs> the sin and call for repentance. I just use that as an example of a kind of an attitude that you see out in the culture at large. Forgiveness is just saying it doesn't matter what you do. We just all forgive everybody. Whatever you do, right? No, we have the responsibility as God's people to use the means that God has appointed for confronting and restraining sin. And when it comes to our interpersonal relationships as Christians, one of those means, as Jesus teaches us here in this text, it's going to that person who has sinned against us and doing what Jesus tells us to do here. We go to him and we point out his sin. And in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, considering ourselves lest we also be tempted, we admonish our brother. Does Jesus say here, if your brother sins against you, forgive him, period. No, he says, if he sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now what happens if he doesn't repent? Are we just to forgive him anyway? No, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 what we're supposed to do when that happens. You're gonna, you're gonna have all kinds of psychological problems, if I might put it that way, as a Christian if you don't understand this. You're gonna feel really guilty for sometimes having a, a sense of righteous indignation in your heart which is sometimes a proper thing to have. God doesn't ask us to pretend like sins against us never happened in one sense that they don't matter. They're no big deal. No. We are to rebuke him. But now what happens if he doesn't repent? Are we just to forgive him anyway? No. Remember Matthew 18. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 what we're supposed to do when that happens. If I, and if I forgive without repentance, what am I doing? I'm neglecting my responsibility as a Christian to apply the God-ordained means for confronting and restraining sin and for helping my brother to face his sin and to deal with it. One of those means is to go to him and to lovingly confront him with his sin as we saw last week. But then another of those means... Is withholding the withholding of forgiveness if he refuses to repent? Think with me. If the person is a member of the church and I go to him about his sin and he refuses to repent, he gets angry. It's a, this is a bona fide sin. I'm not talking about he had bad breath at church that Sunday. It's a real, it's a violation of God's holy law. Okay, I'm not talking about the fact that he didn't come to your you know, your fellowship thing you had at your house. No. He sinned, okay? The man sinned, or the woman sinned in some way. And I go to him graciously, humbly, considering myself, lest I also be tempted, removing the the moat out of my own eye before I try to take the speck out of his eye. And I go to him about his sin. I talk to him about it. He refuses to repent. He gets angry stomps off or he tells you to mind your own business or he just ignores you or he refuses to speak to you anymore or something like that what are you to do Are you just forgive him let it be no jesus tells us very clearly what to do when that happens in matthew eighteen fifteen to 17 we're all familiar with that passage he says you're not to drop it you're to take others you're to get some help Take one or two other brethren with you who are trustworthy and mature and try again to work things out. But what if the facts are now clear, they're established before these witnesses, that he has indeed sinned against you, and yet he still refuses to repent? What are you to do then? Just forgive him and leave it at that? No, Jesus says, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. You're to tell the proper authorities in the church, and the whole church now is to get involved in seeking to recover this brother from his sin. And if after every effort has been made patiently to do so, he still refuses to repent, he's to be removed from the membership, and the church body as a whole is not to forgive him and receive him back unless and until he repents. Right? That's the procedure that Jesus lays out in Matthew 18. Now things rarely, rarely have to go that far. But occasionally they do. And the point, but the point is simply this. Sometimes it's our duty not to forgive a sinning brother. There's a distinction that has to be made between having a disposition that is ready to forgive eager to forgive, which is always to be the case, and the duty of using God-ordained means for confronting and restraining sin and for restoring erring brethren. So in response to the question, when must we forgive others? The first part of the answer, as I trust you see, is we are to forgive only upon repentance. But there's a second part to the answer. (coughs) Jesus also underscores here. Now the first part sounds easy enough, perhaps. Yeah, this makes good sense, I like that. I'm to forgive my brother only if he repents. And notice, secondly, Jesus tells us that we must forgive our brother always and immediately upon repentance. It doesn't stop at verse 3. Listen to verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in the day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall Forgiven. Now, here Jesus seems to anticipate at least two of the most common excuses people use that we can tend to use to refuse to forgive someone. Oh, yes, we're to forgive our brother. If he repents, I'm to forgive him. But here's the first excuse the problem is, brother so and so has done the same thing before. You can't expect me to just keep forgiving him for something that he keeps doing. Well, Jesus says, if he keeps repenting, you're to keep forgiving, right? And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive. Did Jesus really say that? Yes, he did. Now, some of you may remember the the silly illustration that I borrowed from Jay Adams last week. You remember here, here you are, you're minding your own business, provoking no one to anger, surveying the scene and all of a sudden literally or figuratively usually figuratively brother or sister so and so comes along stomps all over your toes disappears over the hill and there you stand through no fault of your own with ten toes flattened out like pancakes and they hurt well he expands on that illustration a bit You sit down rubbing your sore toes, and up walks that brother who stomped all over them. He shuffles up, looks embarrassed, you know, he's ashamed, and he says, brother, I'm so sorry for stomping on your toes. Would you please forgive me? I have this real struggle sometimes with losing my temper, and when I do, I, I start stomping around, and sometimes I stomp on someone's toes, and they get flattened. Please forgive me, brother. Well, as you continue to rub your sore toes, you look up at him and you say, sure, brother, I forgive you, but don't ever do that again. But a few hours later, here you are again, just standing there enjoying the scenery, and bam, the guy comes up and he stomps all over your toes again. And then a little later, here he comes again. With his head down and he says, I guess you know what I did. Oh yeah, I know what you did. You stomped on my toes again. Why did you do that? Well, as I told you, I keep having this terrible struggle with my temper. It's been a struggle I've had for some time trying to overcome it. There's really no excuse for it. Brother, will you please forgive me? Yes, but don't do it again. Well, this whole scenario it keeps happening. Not once, not twice, but seven times. He stomps on your toes. And seven times he comes back asking for forgiveness. Now, we're going to talk about some cases of conscience about forgiveness in a, another message. And it may be that you may struggle a little bit with trusting the guy. Maybe when you see him coming your direction, you go, oh, you know, maybe you buy some steel toed boots or something, but. But seven times he comes back to you asking for forgiveness. What do you do? Well, you see, there are some who would say maybe once, yes. Twice, maybe. Three times, I don't know. Four times, that's it, never. But what does Jesus say? If he sins against you seven times in a day, and he returns to you each time saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, of course, he's not setting a limit of only seven times. In another place, You may remember Jesus actually says 70 times 7. The point is you are to forgive him as often as it happens, no matter how many times it happens. Now, dear friends, that's what Jesus says. Now, that may sound very difficult and even unreasonable, but that's what Jesus says. Indeed, that's what he commands us to do. And though it may be difficult, and it is difficult for our flesh Yet our Lord is willing and able to give us the grace to do whatever he commands us to do. And think about it. How can you say it's unreasonable? When you consider all of the things that God has forgiven you for. When you consider how often you keep coming back to Christ. Every day. For forgiveness. And sometimes for the same things. The very same sins. Over and over. And yet he keeps forgiving you. Just think about that. And you'll see that there's nothing unreasonable about this command at all. But there's a second excuse Jesus anticipates here. And it's this. Well, you know, I believe in forgiving my brother, but not until I see some real fruit that his repentance is genuine. We've all heard that. Maybe you've said that. But notice how Jesus is very careful in the way he words this command. We believe in the verbal inspiration of Scripture. Every word Jesus speaks is on purpose, right? And notice how he does. He does it in a way that destroys that excuse as well. Here's this brother, and he keeps stomping on your toes, and then coming back and asking for forgiveness, and you say, but he's already done this six times. Surely his repentance can't be real. I mean, the Scripture says, by their fruit, you shall know them. He's confessed his sin, he's asked forgiveness, but I'm not forgiving him anymore until I see some fruit. Well, notice how Jesus cuts off that excuse. First, he doesn't merely say, if your brother sins against you seven times, but he says, if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in one in the same day, he has done that. And then notice how he puts it, in seven times in the day, he returns to you saying, I repent. You shall forgive him. All you have is his word, his word on it. He comes to you and says, I repent. Well, Jesus tells, him, tells you that if he does that, you're to forgive him. You're not to try to read his heart. You're not to wait until you see fruit. You're not to say, well, buddy, I'll believe it when I see some fruit then I'll forgive you. No, if he comes to you confessing his sin, asking you to forgive him, you are to forgive him if he says, I repent. That's enough. Remember, fruit sometimes takes time. An apple doesn't grow in a day. Grapes don't grow in a day. Fruit takes time to grow. It takes cultivation and pruning and work and so on. It's not our prerogative to make judgments about whether the man's repentance is, is real, for real. Jesus says, if he comes to you saying, I repent, then in the spirit of that love described in 1 Corinthians 13, that believes all things and hopes all things, you are to forgive him. Now, I wouldn't say that there's not a place in a larger setting in terms of uh, of a, a, a you know, scandalous sin and the church type setting uh, in a public setting corporate uh, setting uh, to require fruit. For example, in cases of public church discipline, something that's a public scandal or has become an issue that's now before the whole church, there may be cases like that where the man has been confronted by the church, he's confessed his sin, he's asked for forgiveness, and we forgive him in terms of the personal level, but the sin is of such a gross and scandalous nature that in order, order to clearly manifest to the community, the church's abhorrence of it, and to give time for the man to prove his repentance so that we just don't have to excommunicate him the next day for the same scandalous sin, right? There may be certain strictures that need to be laid upon him before he's fully restored to the fellowship of the church. But you see, that's not the kind of thing Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about our interpersonal relationships with one another. And he makes it clear that you're not to withhold your forgiveness from your brother until you've seen fruit. You're to forgive immediately when he asks for it. Not only are we to forgive upon repentance, but we are to forgive always and immediately upon repentance. Well, we've dealt with the first question. When must we forgive our brother who has sinned against us? But now in the time remaining, I want to answer the second question, and it's this. What then does it mean to forgive my brother? You know, that's a simple question, isn't it? You ever, you ever had somebody ask you a simple question? It's one of these things you just always kind of assumed that you knew, and then they, somebody point blanks ask you, and you, you think, well, I don't know. Do you know what it means to forgive someone? So everybody knows what forgiveness is. Well, I'm not so sure about that. In fact, I think many, even of God's people, are confused about this. And surely, we're going to have a difficult time forgiving one another. And we're going to come into all kinds of bondage and confusion if we're not clear on what forgiveness actually does and is. And I have two points. First of all, the foundation of forgiveness is being ready to forgive. And desiring to forgive. Now, that's not what forgiveness is in and of itself, but this is what forgiveness presupposes, what it grows out of. This is the foundation. Actual forgiveness cannot be righteously bestowed without repentance, as we saw. But even when there has been no repentance, we are still, by God's grace, to relinquish any desire or effort for personal revenge and we are to be ready to forgive, desiring to forgive. Now, this is very important. I'm afraid sometimes when brothers or sisters first come to learn what we saw earlier, that forgiveness is only to be granted when there is repentance, they say, oh, wow, I like that. And then they thought that if that person has not repented their sins against me, it's okay for me to hate that person. Or it's okay for me to harbor animosity toward them. Or to be bitter in my heart. To cherish an attitude of resentment and ill will. But no, my dear friends, it's never right to do that. Whether the person has repented or not, it's sin to do that. You remember what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount? Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Picking up at verse 38. Now this is the kind of life that we can only live by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. This is not natural to, to human nature what Jesus is teaching us here. Notice what he says in verse 38. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that was a law that was intended for the law court, law courts in the realm of civil justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words the Punishment is to fit the crime, and that's a good law in that realm, right? But Jesus tells us that this judicial principle is not intended to regulate our interpersonal relationships, as the Pharisees were using it. On the contrary, we are never to take personal revenge or to cherish an attitude of malice and vindictiveness. Verse 39 But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. To him also. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see. The guy who has sinned against you. And will not repent. This is what you're to do with this guy. And you're to, you're to love him. And, and Jesus is talking here about not just a feeling. But he's talking about practical, in practical ways. Blessing those who curse you. In other words, replying to mean and bitter words with kind words. Doing good to him. Doing kind deeds for that person. If you're able and you are to pray for him. You should be getting down on your knees and praying for that guy. That's what you should be doing. Now this is what Jesus was talking about in Mark eleven twenty five 25 when he says this. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now, as we're going to see, the actual granting of forgiveness is something that's communicated by you to the one who has sinned against you, not just to God, in secret prayer. But here in that text, in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus is talking about something that's to go on in your prayers before that ever happens, even if the person has never asked your forgiveness. When we go to pray, we're not to hold on to personal malice and ill will in our heart toward anyone. We're to cry to God for grace, to overcome that and to kill that in our hearts. And we're to confess that is sin to him. And when we pray, we are to have a disposition that is ready to forgive and waiting to forgive anyone who has sinned against us. We may not be able yet to righteously bestow forgiveness upon that brother, and we may never be able to It may never be right to do so. But there is a kind of pre-forgiveness we're to have in our heart toward him at all times. Otherwise, Jesus says, if you come to pray and you're holding on to a spirit of bitterness, God will not hear you. And he will not forgive us. In terms of our relationship to him as our father, in the living room context as Christians, in the maintenance of our communion with him, until We repent of that attitude. So we are to deal with all desire to get back at the person. And any attitude of malice and bitterness when we come to pray. Confessing these things to the Lord. Crying to Christ for grace to mortify them. And we should pray for that person, Jesus says. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Pray for him. This person who has sinned against you. Keep praying for that person. And his needs. And praying that God would show him mercy. Keep praying for him. Until your heart is broken for him. And you begin to feel sorry for him. It's very hard to be full of bitterness and malice towards someone. When you make it your practice to carry that person before the throne of grace in prayer. You may feel a sense of righteous indignation at their sin. And that's not wrong. We should never be happy about sin. It should always grieve us. But you can hate his sin and be grieved about it. And even agree with God that he deserves God's wrath because of it. Because in fact he does. Just as you do. For your sins. But at the same time you can pray for him. And desire his good and hope and long that he repent and be ready and eager to forgive him if he does. You see, this is the way our hearts are to be at all times toward anyone who has sinned against us, even if they never come to us and ask for our forgiveness. We are to be ready to forgive, eager, desiring to forgive. This is not the actual act of forgiveness, but this is the foundation of it. But so much for the foundation of our forgiveness of others. Now consider, secondly, the act of forgiveness itself. What is it? What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? What does it do? Well, our forgiveness is to be patterned after God's forgiveness. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave us. Now, when God forgives us, what does he do? Well, he doesn't just sit up in heaven and feel something. He doesn't just sit on his throne and emote No, forgiveness is not merely some kind of feeling. When God forgives us, what does he do? He makes a promise to us. He tells us that he forgives us in his word. He goes on record with a promise. A promise that our sins and iniquities, he will remember no more against us. He tells us that they're blotted out of the record book. And he promises that he will never remember them against us again. Isaiah 43, 25, Hebrews eight twelve. And my dear brothers and sisters, that, that's what it means to forgive someone. When a brother who has sinned against you comes to you and says, will you please forgive me? To forgive him means that you verbally respond to that request. And you, listen, you don't respond by saying, oh, that's okay, don't worry about it. No, if they've sinned, they really have sinned. Now, sometimes I might say that because the person really didn't sin. I said, don't worry about it. You, did, that wasn't, you didn't sin against me, right? But if it's a real sin, you don't just say, okay, don't worry about it. No, if they sinned, they ought to be concerned about it, right? It's right for them to be concerned about it. You don't say, no big deal, don't worry about it. You're to tell them that you forgive them. By the way, we're to be teaching this to our children in the home, right? We have to practice this in our relationships to one another as husbands and wives, not just in the church. You're to tell them that you forgive them and to understand that what that means is that you are promising to never remember it against them again. That's what it means to forgive someone. Now, let me ask you, my dear friend. Is there someone that you need to forgive? They've asked you to, but you've never really forgiven them. Remember, forgiveness is a promise. To no longer remember something, by the way, let me say, which is not the same thing as forgetting something. You see, there is a difference between forgetting something and promising to not remember it against a person. And we've all heard the cliche, haven't we? Forgive and forget. Forget. But forgetting is something that passively happens to us. It's something you really can't control. On the other hand, not remembering is something we actively do. We can't always control what pops into our memory. We can't always make ourselves forget something that has happened to us. In fact, the harder you try to forget something, what happens? Well, usually the harder it is to forget it. Because the very act of trying to forget it, you keep reminding yourself of it. But you see, that's not what it means to forgive. You know, if I, if I uh, told you that I would give you a million dollars to say I can read your mind some way, that if you can go for 24 hours without thinking any thoughts about water buffaloes, I'm sure you think about them all the time. But if you can go for 24 hours without thinking about water buffaloes, then I'll give you a million dollars. You know what you're going to do for the next 24 hours? All you're going to do is think about water buffaloes. You may have never thought about water buffaloes in your whole life. But because you're trying so hard not to think about water buffaloes, that's all you keep thinking about. You see, we may not always be able to forget on command, and the Bible doesn't tell us to. But we can promise to no longer remember it against that person. And by God's grace, we can keep that promise. You see, when God says, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more against you, he's not saying that he somehow forfeits his omniscience. No, the omniscience God does not forget, but he can not remember. And that's what he does when he forgives us. He declares that our sin has been dealt with once and for all on the cross and he will no longer hold it against us. He will no longer bring it up against us. He will no longer remember it against us. And that's what it means to forgive your brother. Oh, but I don't feel forgiving toward that person. Well, again, remember forgiveness is is essentially, first and foremost, it's not a feeling. It's a promise. Now, it's often the case that by the influences of the spirit in our hearts, those right feelings come, but they only come after obedience often, not before obedience. Oh, but if I forgive that person when I don't feel like it, I'll be a hypocrite. No, you won't. I want to confess something to you. Every single morning, probably most of my life, I do something that I don't feel like doing. I get out of bed. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but there's hardly ever a day that I actually feel like getting out of bed. But I do. Does that make me a hypocrite? Now, I would be a hypocrite if I told you that I just loved to jump right out of bed first thing in the morning and, and that, I, that I didn't struggle with getting out of the bed. That, that, then I would be a hypocrite, right? But to get out of bed when I don't feel like it doesn't make me a hypocrite. And that's not the only thing I ever do against my feelings. And I trust that's the case with you. If we're going to be responsible Christians who fulfill our responsibilities to God and to others, many times we have to act against our feelings. Listen, did Jesus feel like going to the cross? When he was sweating great drops of blood At the Garden of Gethsemane? When he cried out, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't feel like going to the cross. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So was he a hypocrite for going to the cross? Of course not. And someone has said, What does it mean when I pursue my responsibilities against my feelings? It simply means I'm being responsible. You see, you may not feel like forgiving that person, but you must remember that forgiveness in the first place is not a feeling, it's a promise. And you must forgive because God commands you to forgive whether you feel like it or not. And when you do that, lo and behold, you know what starts to happen? Your feelings begin to change by the grace and the Spirit of God. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross, but you know what? One of the things that enabled him to do it was his faith in the promise of his father that the cross would ultimately be the pathway and the prelude to great joy. The joy of redeeming his people from their sins. The joy of our salvation. The joy of triumphing over the devil and over sin. And the joy of bringing great glory to the father. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And you too must trust God that ultimately your greatest joy will only be found in doing what he commands you to do. So forget your feelings right now and obey God. Forgive that brother, forgive that sister, Which means you promise to no longer hold that sin against them. To no longer bring it up to them. To bury it forever. To begin to interact with that brother or sister as though it had never happened. Now listen, if you're here this morning and there's someone you need to forgive. Let me exhort you to do that. To do it today. Or perhaps you've forgiven someone and you've gone back on your promise. And you're holding it against them. Or you're bringing it up against them, even to them. You've gone back on that promise. What do you do? You confess that, you repent of it, and you renew that promise. And you start again today to keep the promise that you made. My dear friend, if you refuse to forgive your brother, or even if he's not asked your forgiveness, maybe you can't grant that forgiveness right now because he hasn't repented. Maybe you need to go to him and admonish him. But remember, still, you're to relinquish all bitterness and malice. You're to be ready to forgive, desiring to forgive, even if he's never repented. But if you're here, and you're refusing to forgive someone, or even to be willing to forgive someone, do you not realize, my friend, that you are denying the very foundation of the gospel? Which is namely this. That through Jesus Christ, God forgives us in spite of what we are and what we have done. He's ever ready and eager to forgive. And when we repent, he is quick to forgive us and to never hold our sin against us any longer. He doesn't harbor a grudge against his children. And having been made a partaker, partaker of such mercy, how can you dare then? to harbor malice and resentment toward your brother. If you're a Christian, it is solely by the grace of God. It's all of God's sovereign mercy and grace. In spite of your sins... In spite of your ungratefulness, in spite of the fact that you were born a rebel and a hater of God, and you deserve nothing but eternal hell, in spite of all that, God commended his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You profess to be a Christian. You profess to believe this gospel. What about your harbored grudge, your vindictive spirit, your unwillingness to forgive? How do you reconcile that? with what you claim to believe. My friend, look to Christ until you realize afresh the love of God in Christ to you. A bleeding Savior I have seen. Now I hate my sin. Look to him. Look at him until you've seen Christ bleeding and dying on that cross that you might be forgiven. Think about all the ways you've sinned against us. If you're struggling with this in some situation, meditate upon them. Think back over your life. Think about all the things that Christ, that God has forgiven you for presently, in the past as well. Think about them. Think about the hell that you deserve. And yet Christ has forgiven you all. Dwell on that until it melts your heart and it breaks you down and it makes you feel ashamed of yourself and ashamed of your attitude. And if you're in such a state, if that doesn't shake you out of it. Remember also the warnings of Scripture. Remember the warning of Matthew 6 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And the bottom line is this if you're unwilling to forgive and you go on that way and you don't repent of it, then you're not forgiven yourself. It's that simple. If a man says, I love God, And hates his brother, John says. He is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? 1 John 4.20. If you claim to be a Christian, you're saying that you're a new man. A new creation in Christ Jesus. You're saying that you are being renewed in the image of God. In righteousness and holiness. Therefore you must do unto others as God has done to you. And that involves, as the scripture says, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, if the gospel doesn't have that kind of effect upon you, that kind of practical effect upon you, if it doesn't make you a person who's characteristically ready to forgive and quick to forgive, you may struggle with it sometimes, you may fail sometimes, but characteristically, if it doesn't make you that kind of person, do you realize then it's doubtful if you've ever really seen yourself for the wretched sinner that you are And that you've ever really come to a saving knowledge and experience of the gospel's power in your life. My friend, are you a Christian? Are you a new man, a new woman in Christ? Well, then prove it. And by God's grace, act like one. Let us all act like Christians in our relationships to one another. Being eager and ready and quick to forgive. Amen. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It's so clear, it's so powerful. Help us, Lord. We're, we're ashamed of ourselves because of how often we harbor bitterness and grudges in, in our hearts. Forgive us, grant the help of your Spirit as we repent of these things and help us to always be ready to forgive and to be quick to forgive those who seek that forgiveness. Help us to be faithful to one another in the church, to admonish one another. When we see a brother in sin, to love him enough, to speak to him, to do so humbly, considering ourselves gently, Lord, but to do so. And then, Lord, help us to be quick to repent when our sins are pointed out and help us be quick to forgive even as you have so graciously forgiven us. We offer up these prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.